This is David Wilson and welcome to episode 32 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson, exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been and probably where you never want to go. On Another Track is speaking with people we can't meet with face to face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. So I, uh, I kind of listened to your first excerpt, you know, of the uh, free download that you do on your website. Mm. It was really interesting. You have this very open nature about you, which is lovely. It really comes across in your voice. Nothing is out of the realm, but, you know, responsibility for me. So but I love your background. Where is that? That's the voice of my guest this week, Dr. Holly Woods. She's the CEO and founder of the Emergence Institute. Dr. Woods was recommended to me by a colleague and actually interviewing her was quite an interesting experience. She believes that the world needs purpose undeniably more than ever. Purpose is the driving force of evolution. Every species on the planet, including you, is fundamentally driven to be itself. But what does that really mean in practical terms? Holly believes there's never been a time like this where so much is expected of us with so little direction. We're flying blind and we need clarity, focus and agility. I first started by asking Holly what her role is all about and what is her purpose? I'm an evolutionary being. So, you know, what I do now may not be what I do in five years or even two years, but the moment I, I call myself a purpose activator, I help uncover and liberate people's soul purpose and then help them live into that in their lives, also building products and services and creating businesses. So I work primarily with, you know, entrepreneurs, founders, executives, change makers, people who have a sense that there's something that wants to be birthed and they want to bring that into the world in order to make a difference and help turn the ship around. Now, that's an amazing summation of what you do. But if we were to go a bit more granular, what does that really mean in practical terms? And I mean, if somebody come to you and, and said, look, I'm floundering and I, I thought I had a purpose and you were always going, but help, you know, what would you do? And kind of where would you start? Well, we, we start off, you know, getting a sense of what have you done recently and what has your life been about? I almost always start with a story. You know, I want to hear the whole story of someone's life. In that story, I'm able to begin pulling what I call the golden thread, which was my book. I wrote about how purpose shows up over the stages of our life, looking different across those stages relative to our human development, the level of consciousness or perspective taking capacity that we bring at any stage. And so purpose shows up uniquely across life, but there's always a fundamental thread that starts, you know, at relatively at birth and shows up in childhood and adolescence and young adult and adulthood. And then in elder years, our soul is always pulling us forward and wanting us to express. So we don't have to worry about, you know, I don't have a purpose and 
um, I'm not living purposefully. It's like, well, no, your soul is actually always trying to get you to live purposefully. It's just that it hides because of childhood wounding, or you don't really know where you are. You haven't done the, the kind of work that you need to do to ground yourself in that stage you're in. So that, you know, the first thing really is to uncover the story. And I begin pulling the golden thread. And then I start unraveling that through different methods and helping a person see themselves and also begin to remove some of the trappings of identity and context and all the things in our lives that cause us to be repressed. So we began unraveling those and removing those layers of wounding or limiting beliefs or whatever keeps us small. You know, Holly, something I loved that you said there was uh, about stories. In fact, we'll go back to the golden thread in a moment. I know that's a very important part of what you just said. But what I liked about the story was as human beings, we naturally gravitate to stories and stories are really an integral part of our life. But sometimes we forget to tell stories and to pass them on, more importantly. What do you think has happened with modern life and why don't we naturally do that anymore? That is a good question. You know, I would not normally call myself an expert in storytelling, but in fact, you know, that's a limiting belief, isn't it? Because I so capably pull stories out of people that they're not even aware of. In fact, for years as a as a researcher, I was a, did qualitative research, narrative inquiry. And I got to the point where I said, I can get anybody to tell me anything. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, I have a deep desire to know people. And when that's where you come from is like, I just want to know you. So I want to hear all your stories and your, you know, your way of seeing the world and what's transpired. And like, who doesn't want to tell those stories? And I, maybe the answer to your question is that nobody listens to us. You know, if, if nobody's on the receiving end of our story, why would I tell my story? And probably that's why I became a good listener is because I didn't really have people to listen to my story. I went into hiding in early childhood, which is another story. I became a deep listener and observer and a witness to life. And so I was really good at listening to people and their stories. Ah, so I, oh, sorry, I interrupted you. No, I just said, that's fascinating. Nobody's asked me that question. So that was interesting. But that's the kind of the same as me. You know, I love unlocking those journeys, hence the podcast. You know, I love hunting about the history of people. You know, where did they come from? Where are they kind of going? Uh, you know, what's been the roadblocks that they've encountered on the way? And how do they overcome those problems? You did hint um, at something, and we're probably going there a bit earlier than expected. You did talk about the kind of trauma in childhood and the blockages and what happened. So if someone is in a situation where they can't tell the story, they feel as if they're you know at a roadblock and they're not going somewhere, have you found some strategies in your past and your work that would really help people to unblock those blockages and open up those avenues? Oh, yeah. I mean, at least a third to a half of the work I do with people is really about illuminating the shadow, I guess would be the easiest way of saying it. You know, there are many unconscious aspects to our being that inhibit us from being ourselves. You know, part of liberating our soul really is just about moving that stuff out of the way. It's really that simple. It's not simple to do, but it's conceptually simple that we are who we are organically. The life force just wants to flow through us. We want to be ourselves, but we are not because of all of these you know, these heapings of repression, contextual and parental and peer group and 
social constructions and expectations, all those things that are like, you know, they're like layers and layers of quilt or, you know, covering on us. And so I I work with people to remove all of that one by one or, you know, sometimes several layers at a time. So I do a lot of work with people. I'm trained in psychotherapeutic methods. I do energy work. I do belief work. I trained in somatic experiencing, which is trauma recovery. You know, I had to do that work myself to become liberated. And so I've got decades of modalities and certifications that, you know, that's part of why my work is effective and and is very customized generally because everybody needs, you know, a very customized approach. When did you realize you had to go on that journey? When was the first realization of that? You know, it wasn't a conscious realization I needed to go on a journey. As a young adult, I'd say in my teens, I began to have very serious suicidal ideation. And I knew that wasn't, you know, like that wasn't normal and that I needed to figure out what that was about. So I started therapy in my teens, late teens. The instigation for the way I did life was as a child, I had a voice that said I was here to do something important and I didn't know what that was. And turns out I was mystical early on. So because I had this drive, I always had this drive to figure out what am I here to do. I knew I couldn't leave the planet. I probably, you know, I, I might have left in early life had it not been for this voice that told me I was here to do something important. And so I had to figure it out. I didn't really have a choice. And I was very spiritual. And so I believed that there was help. Like, I just, I got to go find it. Like, I don't know where the help is. So, I, you know, started out in very traditional therapy. And then in my 20s and 30s, you know, I spent a lot of time in nature as a means of coming to an intrinsic awareness of who I am. We see ourselves in nature. Most of us aren't conscious of that, but nature is a good reflection of our internal experience. And then I, you know, my 20s and 30s both studied in formal education, but also began experimenting with many alternative therapies, modalities. So I think your question was when and how, but it really was very organic. I was just trying to stay here. And um, I just kept looking for things, methods that would help me stay here. Yeah, I, I love that. It, it wasn't your time to leave. Uh, I've got to stay here. And I, I love those comments. And you kind of don't hear that very often, but it's very practical. It's a very practical angle to what you wanted to achieve. So at that stage, you realized there was a higher purpose. You were here for a reason. But how do you get connected to that? I'm sure there's other people out there that have got that higher purpose. They're, you know, they're aware of it. I mean, what did you do in yourself to kind of open yourself up to that? Or were you an open book already, so to speak? You know, again, I, I wouldn't suggest most people are going to do it like I have I had to do it because of my circumstances. But I, I knew as a very early, you know, in very early childhood that I was connected. And, you know, I was connected to spirit at a, as a child. And then it got repressed and shut down. And I actually lost my spirituality. I sort of moved into the atheistic or agnostic, at least, understanding of life. And I wasn't connected anymore because the pain 
and the suffering was so intense. I just was like, I'm trying to stay on the planet, you know, forget about the higher purpose thing. And it wasn't until my 30s after I'd studied world religions and began to actually really explore like, well, maybe there is something and maybe I'm just missing it. Like I'm, I don't really understand it and therefore it's been repressed in me. And so I, I began to connect in different ways. Nature, I started meditating. I started trying other methods that brought me back into my body. More somatic awareness, which meant I was really coming back and no longer dissociated. So I could begin to start having those connections again to spirit because I was like now in me instead of out here looking, looking in. So I, you know, I, I think it again was just really an organic thing. I kind of get it, you know, that people want to disassociate themselves. And what you kind of really were doing is trying to get back to basis, trying to get back there. And that was right. the important right. bit, wasn't it? Right. I had to get back to the body. <laughs> now, I read somewhere, actually, you had something like 24 jobs. It beats my 13 schools in my army life. But you know, I'm intrigued, though. Was that your kind of the journey you were still trying to find yourself? Was that part of the kind of a process of discovery? I'm a polymath. I learn think learn and master things very quickly. You know, I can look back and tell you what that's about. I, I believe, it's a belief, I don't know for sure, but my hypothesis is that I was on this journey, right, to stay on the planet, <laughs> to figure things out so that I could gain the skills and capacities to do the work I now do. That's my story about it anyway. I That's my thread, is, is that I believe that my soul was guiding me on this path to have these many, many different experiences to both heal myself, become whole and a more pure and clear being in order to have the capacities to also help others liberate. So, you know, my purpose really is about soul liberation. And so, you know, the sort of practical version is that I would be in something, I'd figure it out, I'd sort of master it. People are like, whoa, how did you do that? And then boom, there was like, oh, there's the next thing. It would just kind of show up, you know, synchronistically, magically, like, oh, I guess I'm doing this now. And I would do that for a period of time and then master it and get really good at it. And and then boom, the next thing would show up. And, and it's not like I made a conscious choice every two years, I'm going to go find a new career. It's just that like I did that, been there, done that. Ah, here's the next thing. And I'm just a, I'm a, I'm, I'm an evolutionary. So I move through things quickly. That's how I do life. And I still do life that way. So actually I've, I've had 32 careers. I've been a nomad, so I've moved as many, you know, just about as many times as I've changed careers. I'm not going to tell you about my relationship history, because <laughs> we grow in relationship, like we grow in the rest of life, and um, I've been a really fast grower. <laughs> yeah, I, I really love that. And that you know, <laughs> that could be a subject of a separate podcast, eh? <laughs> Now, I know somebody said to me, and we'll go to the golden thread in a moment, but somebody said to me that, you know, your book is already written. Your map is kind of already drawn. So really what we're doing is taking lefts or rights right. on that journey. Yeah. Different theory, and I'm not sure if I really subscribe to that, but I'm sure you can give us a comparison of that to where you're going with the golden thread. So tell the listeners a little bit about the concept of the golden thread and how you got to write the book. 
Yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily agree with the map is already, you know, the map is drawn for you, you know, just sort of fundamentally, I believe that our soul is the individuated expression of spirit moving through us. So here's spirit, quantum field, God, whatever you want to call it, you know, the all. And then there is us as individuated beings who are distinct and nuanced. And literally, there's there's a scientist who came up with an equation that any one of us being here in this moment in time in our expression, the chances of that is one in 400 quadrillion. So I, I've been talking for years about each of us being unique, one of a kind, nuanced. It's like, oh, yeah, well, that's a whole nother level of nuance, right? One in 400 quadrillion. So the version of me that is one in 400 quadrillion is what I'm looking for in this thread. I want to see the way your soul has been pulling you, pushing you, prodding you, nudging you, you know, bumping you into walls. So you have to experience the thing, the opportunity that's going to help you, you know, course correct, get rid of shadow. So we literally are on these intentional, soul intentional paths that are quite circuitous, it's not linear. And the soul is guiding us through these experiences in life, attempting to express more and more and more of who we are and less of who we are not. So it's like the thread weaves through our lives and we become more of ourselves and we get rid of the stuff that isn't really us and it's our most pure essence. So when I look back at someone's story, I'm actually able to find that thread and say, see, here's your soul doing that. And it's not about job or career or project or initiative or product. It's the fundamental facets of your soul. An, an amazing journey, you know, and I'm sure that uh, you weren't an author to start with. So how the heck did you get to write the book? How did that all occur? So everything in my life has been organic and... I started studying about eight years ago with one of my mentors, Terry O'Fallon of Stages International. And she is a scientist, teacher, spiritual guide, beautiful human. And she studies and writes about researches, stages of consciousness. And she has this very well-documented, validated model framework that looks at, based in decades of, of human development research, that looks at people over time and, and, has, and can identify their stages of consciousness or human development or perspective taking. And so I've been studying with Terry for quite a while. I'm, you know, the nerd scientist that I am, and I'm doing purpose work, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is the answer. Like, this is why we can't find purpose because we can't actually see it in our lives because it looks different over time based in the stage of human development that we're living in. Like, oh my gosh, holy cow. So I mapped purpose across. This is actually the first year I started working through it. I, I just went home and mapped purpose across stages of consciousness. Like, holy cow, this informs everything about my work. So I started using this new map I created based on Terry's work and my purpose work, mapped it like, you know, and was doing that. I began to really understand it more and more and more. And the more I used it, the more I understood it, the more effective I became with my clients. Boom, they, you know, just started having huge transformations and, you know, unveiling in the world and my life took off and it just, it worked. And so several years ago, I was telling some of my colleagues about it and they're like, oh my God, Holly, you got to share this with us. Come do a presentation at the 
global purpose summit and like, okay, sure. I'll come present. And I, so I presented this one day at this global purpose conference, which is for purpose practitioners. And they're like, holy cow, Holly, you need to write a book about this. I'm like, really? Like anybody's interested in this? (laughs) So it guided me to write the book. It was for a very specific nuanced audience at the time, my peers and colleagues and anybody who, you know, really grok's purpose and wants to know how to do it better. But in fact, it's turned out to be a book that many people can read and understand where they are and what their current purpose might look like and find it more easily. And and thanks for that amazing explanation of it. And you you do really need the bolstering of other people to help you get along and write that book. But, you know, what was the practical ways that you got down and actually started to write it? Because you have to turn up each day, don't you? Well, and, and this is, you know, so... David, you don't know me well enough. I mean, a lot of my life, you've heard about the synchronicities, you know, the next thing just shows up. And and that's kind of a good chunk of my life has been that way. A lot of the things were very unpleasant, painful, and caused suffering. But the thing I need always, always shows up. And I have ultimate faith in the universe because of that. Didn't look pretty for a really long time. But I, you know, I know that I've been on this purposeful path for all these years. So as synchronicity would have it, I was creating a group course, thinking about using the name Creator Institute, Googled to see if anybody was using it. This was like five, six years ago. And it turns out somebody was using it, a Georgetown professor who was teaching a class to his students about how to write a book. Like, well, that's interesting. And I signed up for his, you know, his little newsletter and fascinating, closed it out, forgot about it. And then right about the time my colleagues were saying, Holly, you need to write a book. I get an email from this guy, Eric, beautiful man. And he's like, Holly, were you interested in writing a book? <laughs> oh, wow. Gosh. <laughs> I have no idea how to write a book. I hadn't written a book yet. And like, uh, yeah, <laughs> he says, well, I am opening up my, you know, course used to be just for students at Georgetown. This would be the first cohort. I'm welcoming in other adults who want to write a book. Like, holy cow. And it's $400 and you get to take it with me at Georgetown. And you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be a student at Georgetown. And, you know, you're going to have a book and and period of a semester. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. Hey. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, God? Um, so I enrolled, of course. I mean, it was literally, he wrote me like two days before the course started. Like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Things just show up. You just sign up. Like, yeah, I'm not really ready, but let's go for it. Class actually started in June, but I didn't get started till really August. And by October, I had a 90,000 word book. Um, and it was intense. You know, let me just tell you, that's not something a person would normally do to write a 90,000 word book in three months, but it was, it was poured out of me. You know, it was ready to be written. I had had the message, you know, my colleagues, and then I like, yep, you're going to write this book. Like, oh, okay. (laughs) Writing a book. That's incredible. And that's not unusual when somebody wants to convey a message and get something down, you know, you're pretty focused, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Writing a book is all about flow and there's no stopping you. Once you get into that flow, it's incredible. You can, you can write for days, can't you? There, there wasn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, there was a lot of other stuff going on in my life. I, I, there was a lot of other transition that 
accompanied this that, you know, in hindsight, yep, that, oh, those things had to happen. And then swiftly moved into publishing because there was publishing arm associated with this course, of course. And um, so nine months before the pandemic, I was in isolation, in cave writing. Oh, my, like, see ya. (laughs) I'll, I'll see you at the end, my friends. Like, cause I was head down writing and then the pandemic happened and I'm like, wait, I was just about to come out of my cave. And so, you know, the 18, I was in isolation for 18 months, Oh my! Um, which is why I ended up moving to Texas in January because I'd had enough of the California lockdown. You're halfway through listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week is Holly Woods. She's the CEO and founder of the Emergence Institute. Next, I wanted to ask Holly a little bit more about her personal life and going back to her childhood. Although traumatic, she talks about it with eloquence and gives us hope for the future. Um, I'm happy to share, you know, just with the caveat that um, I, you know, I fundamentally believe that we... And these are Holly, this is Holly's cosmology. This is not truth. That we choose, you know, wherever we come from, that we create the opportunity for our soul's growth. So while growing up, I was a victim to many circumstances for decades and suffered dramatically, was, you know, horrid pain enough that I wanted to leave the planet. I now look back and see that every bit of everything I've ever experienced was required. I had to have those experiences in order to do the work I needed to do to overcome my shadow, my prior life karma, you know, all the limiting beliefs, everything that I had to liberate in order to be who I am now. So any story that I tell you is gonna be from that frame. And, And so my childhood was, you know, challenging. I had two sisters, you know, lovely, beautiful people who were my parents, both incredibly talented, intelligent humans, just not high capacity. And my mother was undiagnosed, mentally ill. We assume it was bipolar. So very abusive, physically, mentally, and neglectful. My father worked a lot. I grew up in a lumber hardware store family. And so he worked, you know, six and a half days a week. He was the breadwinner and he, you know, kept food on the table. And all those many years, he endured as much as we did as children. And, but he didn't know, I I think he just didn't know all of what was going on. And, you know, he later told me that he didn't leave us. He didn't leave my mother because he knew we would never have the opportunities to have a healthy life. So I have great respect and admiration and love for my dad for being there, even though, you know, as a child, it's like, why can't you stop this? <laughs> but he just didn't know. So all of that led to this hiding I told talked about that, like, I just, I can't be in this. I left my body. I would hide in closets and hampers. And I spent a lot of time outside just as far away as I could, which also meant I developed this vast imaginative capacity and a subtle interior, which I find fascinating. Many of my clients have had traumatic experiences. And I'm sort of one of my hypotheses is that those of us who have these very difficult early lives, you know, 
become very evolved quickly because we are forced to retreat to the inside and cope with this, you know, serious dysfunction of our lives and un understand what, what the experience is. So we developed that very early subtle capacity for metacognition and understanding thoughts and feelings and, and can then evolve quickly. So I was a pretty evolved kid pretty early on, which was probably contributed to why I was, you know, mastered things quickly because I was always ahead of the curve, I guess. Thank you for talking so candidly about that. I mean, your situation with your mum, bless her, were, you know, she had problems she didn't even realise she had probably. No, not at all. She just had to carry on. And ultimately, she probably was ultra depressed, I would imagine. There was nothing. You know, there was hardly even therapy back then. And Valium, Mother's Little Helper. Yeah, just incredible. Um, but, but what was admirable, actually, was the story about your dad where he didn't leave you high and dry. He knew he had to stay oh, um, to be able to sort of make sure that things were sustainable and right. you could carry on. On a more like to note, though, um, I'd love to know if you did any research and to see where the family came from, you know, the ancestry, where they, they originally all came from. Two sides of my family. One side, my dad's side was very English, Irish, Scottish, came over, I think, during the Revolutionary War. A lot of ancestry that was in the northern parts of the U.S. fought in the Union. And then my mother's side of the family was Irish Czech. So one side merchant, the other side very much lower class, poverty mentality, you know, farmers became farmers, moved across the Midwest probably fought in the Civil War in the South. And some of this I know, and some of it is projection, but sort of association with place and time. So two very different orientations to culture, you know, both Eurocentric. Very interesting. And then where did the family end up? Was it from sort of California to the Midwest? No, I, I mean, both sets of my family ended up in Texas. Oh, okay, right. So one part of the family landed in Czechville and then migrated to the Baytown area. And then another part of the family ended up in East Texas and migrated to the Houston area. And this is what happens with, with, you know, the early migrants, right, is they go places where they know people from their country of origin. And I'm going to camp out here until something better arises. And then oh, I'm going to go there. And ah, okay. part of my family, my mother's side, that were farmers mostly lost everything in the Great Depression and just kept migrating, looking for farming land. And that's how they ended up in the Houston area, a lot of rice farming and, and such. So really, you've gone back home, back to Texas. Oddly, you know, I left in my 20s, um, and this was a part of the phase where I was kind of rejecting everything. I had lost my spirituality. I dissociated from culture, from family, like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. I remember the day driving out of Texas, I moved to Colorado, I remember looking in my rear view mirror and like, see ya, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm gone. I'm not coming back. And um, I lived in Colorado for 28 years. And then I lived in California for eight. And it wasn't till, you know, the pandemic and the isolation and, and, and just feeling this call, like, God, there's something about going home. There is like, you know, going back to some roots that would just do me good. Like, be really rooted. And, you know, again, in Heinz, now I can see this journey 
in these different cultures of Texas, Colorado, California, what I was doing, unconsciously doing. And, you know, Colorado all those years was about expansion and vision, right? You know, you just, and you can see the topography for thousands of miles. You can't help but develop vision. It was a place for me to truly become, you know, that which I couldn't become in a more um, entrenched, dense culture. And then at some point I had enough, I had a calling, middle of the night calling to Petaluma and I had no idea what a Petaluma was. I Googled it, like it's a little down in Northern California and I'm married and have kids in high school and what, you want me to move? And um, two and a half years later, my eldest daughter goes off to college and my youngest daughter who had heard my dream said, mom, we're supposed to go. And like, no, you're at school. Like, but she and I ended up moving to California Northern California, where, you know, literally I moved into the next stage of my own evolution, consciousness expansion, because it's such a deep spiritual portal, you know, that all happened remarkably, layers and layers and layers came off. And then I, I think this call to Texas was like, let's get rooted again. It's time to bring all of that into focus and material, you know, back into the material world and execute on all this stuff you've been creating and holy cow since january like my whole life is just like like business has taken off and like i'm bringing in this new product and (laughs) this is amazing it's an amazing story i can't explain this stuff i just like okay okay wait a minute wait a minute so you you've had 32 jobs you've been an anthropologist epidemiologist um You've fitted kids in their marriage. <laughs> how did you do it? I mean, how would you, how can you make that work? I don't know how, I, David, it's an interesting question. I don't know how. I've usually done three or four things at a time, professionally, in addition to my personal life. So I, I mean, pregnant with my first child and started a doctoral program. I had two kids while doing my doctorate and worked full time and had a coaching business. And that's just kind of how it's always gone for me. You know, it's a little harder now. I don't do quite as many things, though I am still doing several things that are like right now, even, you know, I have a full coaching practice and I'm launching this new product and, you know, sort of hands at other collaborative things. I'm outlining the next book. You know, we all have our way in the world and, and mine, mine is not a normal life. I don't pretend to be normal. <laughs> That's all I can, all I can say is I don't pretend to be normal. <laughs> But but what is normal anyway, you know, but um, but this very neatly leads us to the Emergence Institute. Uh, what can Holly do for our listeners out there in terms of creating courses or giving support? Well, the Emergence Institute emerged out of after the after I published my book, oddly, about a month later, my my old website, Hollywood's Coaching, was hacked and destroyed. That's a bit of bad luck, eh? I had been wanting to rebrand and expand for a while and like, ah, it's too hard. I'm not ready. You know, still some hiding going on. Was this God's way of saying, no, sorry, you don't have a choice. So I had to rebuild from the ground up and like, well, might as well do it. And so... I'm totally into emergence, obviously. And, you know, I've studied emergence. So emergence is also a science. It's not just a word. The science of emergence in a nutshell is that we, you know, life, 
not just we, but life, laws of nature, everything deconstructs in order to come back together in a higher order. It's just sort of the laws of evolution. It's, that's the most fundamental laws of nature or evolution. And so my life's been nothing but that, right? And, and the only way you can get to the next thing is to pull apart what you've been doing and let it reorder organically. And so my work is really about helping people do that in one form or another, coming into alignment with the deepest truth of who we are so that we can reorder and potentiate our truest selves, most authentic version of us on the planet. So currently I, I see clients one-on-one, uh, -on -one, generally over six month period, and we get deep clarity about purpose and the golden thread and, and build products and services and businesses. And they off they go. <laughs> like it's just crazy. And I also do consulting. I work with companies who want to create new products or generate systems. So part of the business building really is about creating systems aligned with purpose as well. I also work with executives and large companies to get clear on who they are and to be more productive and effective at, in their roles. And then I am launching this new product called the Purpose Launch Lab in the next couple of weeks. So anybody that wants to hear more about it can sign up on my website and get on the list. Actually, that's uh, quite a great segue to your website, actually, because if uh, the listeners want to download the free audio that you have on your website, could you maybe let them know what the website address is? Yeah, it's emergenceinstitute.net. And that's emergence, not emergency or not emergent. Anyway, it's emergenceinstitute.net. On the homepage, you can just put in a contact form or on the get started page, there's quite a few resources that you can sign up for and download for free. And that would also then you know, give you information about the upcoming product. Okay. Thanks for that. That was really great. What I'd like to do, we've got a couple more minutes. I'd love to ask a specific question about if somebody is kind of stuck where they are at the moment and they don't really have a clear idea or clear path of where they're going, what are some of the tips that you can give them to really get them started on the road to not necessarily recovery, but a road that is going to have an ultimate aim or light at the other end of the tunnel. What do you suggest? Well, you know, I get asked this so much. That's why I created that free audio course. Okay. Yeah. So I, I would encourage anybody to go download it. It's, it's invaluable content. Literally it's, you know, some of my IP intellectual property and I just give it away for free because I, my goal here on the planet really is to liberate as many souls as possible. And not everybody needs to work with me. There's, you know, people who can do something that, like that and figure it out and move on to the next place. That's like, yay, hurrah. <laughs> I mean, but literally the steps in that audio course are some real discrete, finite tactics to begin to find the thread. And, you know, the very first one is to pull out a piece of paper and put it horizontal and draw a line down it and mark off the decades and Go back in time, if you can remember, and think about the things in life that inspired you, that, that you know, drove you crazy with obsession, that you were curious about, that you spoke about, that you did projects about, that you were reading books about, that, that you just, you know, you couldn't get enough of. And over time, those kinds of patterns will illuminate what it is your soul has been really drawing you to do. And I love that. And uh, I actually listened to the first episode oh, cool. and, and I've actually drawn it out here. Actually, it's not uh, horizontal, it's vertical, but it was oh, great. Uh -huh. 
Well, yeah, way, I love that minus five to plus five. You know, what things really inspire you and uh, give you kind of vision. Right. That, that was the energy piece is that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just one form of learning to pay attention to listen really well to the data that's coming in energetically. We are amazing receptors for the world around us. And we just literally don't pay attention. Most of us, we're not really in our bodies and in our energy structure. And so that practice of, you know, go through your day and mark off experiences minus five to plus five, and it's it will completely illuminate for you the things that really matter and those that don't and, and your reactions to them. I absolutely adore it. I love it. And thank you so much for sharing it. It's really, really helped people to get off the base, you know, get off that first base and and it's about the building blocks, isn't it? But I'm sort of moving up incrementally, isn't it? I've had people write me and say, oh my God, like, I know, like I'm off. I know what I'm doing. And I, it just makes me so happy that, you know, turn my life into something, you know, I, I'm nothing if not useful. So I just, I get, I'm delighted. I've got a couple of more questions before we go. Do we confuse passion with purpose or are they intertwined? So I believe we writ large do confuse purpose and passion. I have discernment about them, but, you know, I've studied this for a long time. I, I believe that purpose is the orientation of our soul in wanting us to be alive as our true selves and that there are many facets, you know, where it's like a multifaceted gem our purpose, and that we have many expressions of purpose in our lifetime. Passion is what we experience when we're living on purpose, you know, or when something moves in us that is an indication of purpose. So I experience passion when I am doing purpose. You know, when I'm talking purpose, like, you, obviously, I'm always passionate. <laughs> I can't not be passionate when I am talking about you know, my purpose, helping people live their purpose. Passion is not necessarily purpose. I'm also passionate about nature. I'm, I'm passionate about people and animals and I'm passionate about dancing. And, you know, there's lots of things I'm passionate about life, but they're not necessarily my purpose. Yeah, of course. And, and that makes complete sense. You know, I know when I'm passionate about my podcasts, uh, you know, my ultimate purpose is to find out about people and uh, sort of share that with the rest of the world, you know, and that really drives my passion as well. You know, it's just, so it is it's inter interconnected, as we originally said. Eh? So we're at the stage where I always ask this question to, of all of my guests. Um, if you were 18 again, what would you tell yourself? 18? You know, and it's funny because um, I'm one of those people that like, I don't have any desire to do any gear ever again. <laughs> like, you've heard enough about my story. Like, nope, not doing that again. But if I were 18, what would I tell myself? Um, to have patience and faith. Um, you know, I didn't know at 18 that there would be any utility in the life that I had and the suffering that I'd already experienced. I didn't know that it would serve me. And if I, if somebody had, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really have mentors most of my life. Um, if somebody had said, Holly, you know, this is all going to be worth it. And if you can really learn to pay attention to your experiences and 
and uncover what what is useful about this, it would have made a big difference. And so I've become the queen of silver linings. And I now know that every single thing that happens in our life is an opportunity to become more of ourselves and less of who we are not. And that I can use absolutely everything. And so I, you know, everything that now happens, my life is not perfect. Stuff happens. And um, I look at it, it's coming at me like, oh, what is that? <laughs> okay, what am I going to get from that? That's the question I ask. I'm curious, what is this going to give me as I'm going through it? So I no longer resist the things that kind of hurt. I welcome them. I figure out very quickly, oh, this is why I'm having this experience. Awesome. Let me have that experience. And then poof, it's gone. You know, it doesn't have to stay around because I got it. I got what I needed from it. Thank you for sharing that advice. I mean, the practicalities of it is that, you know, if it's a good experience, then retain it and uh, keep it and learn from it. But if it isn't, then be able to let it go. Well, actually, no, what I said, what is it? It's all useful. Oh, okay. So every single thing that comes in has a message or a lesson for you. And, and if you embrace that and acknowledge the lesson, then the, then the pain, the suffering, the experience itself dissipates. You know, it's like if someone harms you, there's always something there that I can use to become a better human, to become more innately me. And I know we've given you a website at the moment, but uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, is there an email that people can contact you on at all, Holly? Well, I, I mean, either going to my website and signing up for something or just send me an email. It's holly at emergenceinstitute.net. Actually, if you wouldn't mind repeating that again, just so people can hear it again. Holly, H-O-L-L-Y at emergenceinstitute.net. Well, Dr. Holly Woods, I want to thank you very, very much for coming on the show today and uh, telling us some of the great practical tips that we can do to help find our purpose in life and uh, combine that with passion to get somewhere. I want to thank you again for giving up your time. It's been a sheer pleasure interviewing you. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you. Likewise. You've been listening to Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week was Dr. Holly Woods of the Emergence Institute, giving your life and work meaning and purpose through life-sustaining actions. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America.